Your choices, circumstances, past, relationships, parents, or lack thereof. You. Your life story up to this very second. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's how you've become who you are. This, however, is who you were created to be. Alive, complete, fully free. Who you are, deeply rooted in who God is. Using your gifts, talents, passion, and resources to be God's hands and feet in this world. This is the you you've caught a glimpse of in your best and worst times. This is the you that you've been created to be. The distance between these two yous sometimes feels impossible to travel. The process to bridge these two yous is called transformation. It's the way that God helps you go from who you've become to who He created you to be. It's sometimes painful, sometimes difficult, sometimes slow, sometimes welcomed, sometimes not. But it is always loving. It is always what God longs for. It is always for everyone, including you. Our church exists to help lessen that gap. Transformation is something only God can do, but our church can help to make what is undeniably spiritual as practical as possible. From what we teach, to the things we do, to when we meet, to who we do life with, we are committed to helping you grow, to helping you become who God created you to be. That's transformation. That's our church. So today, like I said, is just an introduction, and um, if you're new to our church, we uh, always print listening guides out here. If you uh, have the version Bible app on your phone, you can do it on, on either Apple or any kind of smartphone, uh, Samsung, any of those. Uh, I always put the uh, outline on there as well. Now, if you buy the transformation or the transformed book, there's going to be just blank pages each week to uh, take some notes from the, the sermons. If you want to do that, fine. If you want to keep doing your listening guides, that's fine. We'll, we'll provide all of those things. Now, our theme verse for the next eight weeks is going to be Romans 12.2, one of the very first verses that I ever memorized. And I want you to read this out loud with me. We're going to go over it and over it again for the next uh, eight weeks. Read it with me, please. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop right there. We're going to read that again. Ready? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Go ahead. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, in that verse, there are, there's a big don't and a big do. There's a big fat don't. Do you get, did you see it? The big fat don't is don't conform. Do not conform to the patterns of the world. Do not be like the world. God wants you to be a non-conformist. The big fat do is do be transformed. How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You get God's word in your mind so that it overpowers other things and helps you make better decisions. Uh, God's saying that you're either going to conform to a certain pattern or you're going to be transformed. You're transformed by getting God's word into your mind more and more and more, and he transforms you. Two weeks ago when Joe talked about absolute truth, he talked about truth, he talked about this in his sermon. Absolute truth frees you, transforms you. Relative truth 
confines you. Relative truth um, uh, does not help you get where God wants you to be. Absolute truth frees you to be the person God created you to be. See, God created you unique. Every person in here is unique. You have a unique voice print. You have a thumbprint, unique handprint, unique heartbeat. God doesn't make clones. Now, humans are trying to make clones. We're we're all into that, but God doesn't make clones, and he doesn't want you to be pushed into the mold of anybody else. He wants you to be the unique person that he created you to be. The problem is we start off as originals, but then we end up as copies of somebody else because we get pressured by society to do things and act the way that people act and think the things that they tell us that we're supposed to think. And God says, that's not how we're supposed to be. So the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven key areas of your life. And we're going to pray like crazy that God will help us um, to make changes in those areas, to be transformed in each one of those areas. And in order for that to happen, you've got to do a part and God's got to do his part. Like I said earlier, God's not going to force himself on you, so he's going to wait for you to make some decisions. And what we're going to talk about is a goal every week. And I want you to see what the the scripture says about goals today. So I'm going to run through several things about goals. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and this is Paul writing. He says, I do not mean that I am already as God wants me to be. Now, let me just, let me just stop right now because uh, some of you, if you're what God already wants you to be, you don't need to be in here. So we'll just pause and let you, let you leave. Anyone? Anyone say, I am, I've arrived. I am exactly who. In fact, if you're that person, please come up here and lead the rest of this. No one? So what that means is you're not what God wants you to be yet. Does everybody agree to that? Y'all are like, he's lost his mind. Somewhere out in the ocean on a ship. Right, okay, so the point is, none of us are where we want to be. Paul, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, is saying he's not what God wanted him to be yet. Now look, I have not yet reached that, what's that word? I have not yet reached that what? What's that word? Thank you. It's coming up again, and it's highlighted and it's underlined, so be ready. I've not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it, what, the goal, to make it, what, the goal, mine. Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know that I have not yet reached that. Oh, y'all are good. But there is one thing I always do, forgetting the past and straining towards what is ahead. I keep trying to reach the Oh, you're getting better. And get the prize for which God called me through Christ to the life above. Now, this is awesome here. All of us, he's saying all of you, who are spiritually mature, should think, think the same way that Paul just described. He hadn't reached it yet, but he's straining toward the goal that God wants him to reach. You need to be straining towards the goals that God has for your life as well. And somebody may say, why? Why do I need to have goals spiritually? Well, here's the reason. Because in each of the seven areas that we're going to look at, you are exactly where you have chosen to be. Spiritually, you're as close to God as you've chosen to be relationally, your, your marriage or, or the relationships that you have are as good as you've chosen for them to be. And some of you go, no, my marriage isn't what I've chosen for it to be. And so my question to you is, who's holding a gun to your head saying you'll have an unfulfilling marriage? Who's doing it? Well, figuratively, Satan. But is Satan making you make bad choices that impact your marriage? Because I know, I, I, I fully get it, it takes two people to make a marriage. It takes one person to run a marriage, it takes two people to make a marriage. But I'm willing to bet that every person in here who is married has made choices that directly impact the quality of your marriage. Is that a yes or a no? 
Every one of us make choices. So relationally, you're where you have chosen to be. Financially, you're where you've chosen to be. Whoa, don't be going there, preacher. Well, one of the seven areas is financial. I'm not going to tell you which one it is because you'll try to skip that day. You're either going to set goals for your own life or you're going to allow other people to set goals for you. Those are your choices. If you don't have goals for your life, you've already decided, I'm going to let other people guide me. I'm going to let other people's ideas overpower what I think because it doesn't matter, and I'm just going to drift along, and who knows where I'm going to end up. You're allowing others to wreck your life. Paul says if you're spiritually mature, you should think the way he thinks. He said, I set my goal, I strive for my goal, I move towards my goal, I keep my eyes focused on the goal. And he says, if you're mature spiritually, you're going to think the same way. So let's look real quickly at, some, at what are goals. Because we're going to be talking about them for seven weeks. Number one, goals are statements of faith. Now somebody may say, isn't a goal a business thing? Or isn't that something that only athletes do? And the, the answer is no. I'm talking about spiritual habits that you need to form. You are as healthy spiritually as the habits that you have. If you're not in the Word of God every day, you're not growing spiritually. If you're not praying every day, you're not growing spiritually. If you're not spending time with your father, he can't possibly mold you into who he is. Because uh, Paul says that as we gaze at him, he transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. How much gazing have you done? Your spiritual life right now is in direct proportion to the amount of time you spent with your heavenly father. And so goals are spiritual habits. And, and so when we say, when we say uh, over these weeks, when we set a goal, we're going to say, I believe, which is faith, I believe that God wants me to do blank by blank. For example, we've been talking about for years going to two worship services. We finally said, we need to put a date on this because it's just a dream until you put a date on it. We said October 11th, 2015, we're going to go to two worship services. We're, we're talking about how to, to, to build a new worship center five to seven years down the road. That's, that's what we think, unless God does something crazy, we, he may do something crazy and we can build it sooner. But we're trying to figure out what do we need to do. So we're talking about paving out here, the, the logging road back here, and paving that and making 200 parking spaces back here and, and having a covered drop-off over here and then eventually building a building and having a covered drop-off on one side and on the other side. We're saying that we believe God wants us to do this by 2020. Now, here's, here's what we're, we're talking about. Goals aren't just statements of faith. Goals stretch your faith. And the bigger your goal, the more your faith will be stretched. And when you have to have faith in God, it pleases him. Because Hebrews eleven six 6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if I'm going through life or you're going through life without any, taking any risks, it doesn't require any faith, which means you're being unfaithful. So during the next 50 days... I want you to begin the process of becoming who God wants you to be. God has a goal for your life. I want you to discover that goal and become that person. And, and I'm going to tell you this right now, that as soon as you say, I want to be the person God designed me to be, you're going to hear a little voice whispering. And he's going to say, who do you think you are to do anything in the kingdom of God? With your past, there's no way God could or would use you. And so when, God, when, when Satan does that, here's what you say. You say, I'm nobody, but my father is the king of kings. My father is your boss, Satan, so get away from me. Remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't argue with Satan. Jesus uses the word of God as the offensive weapon. It is written, it is written, it is written. 
Some of you couldn't do that because you've never memorized a verse in your life. And even though you have it on your phone, you can't find it. You get it in your mind so that in the moment, God can bring that up. When Jesus was tempted with the stones, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He didn't have to look it up. He would have been rolling out a scroll. That would have taken a while. He had it in his mind, and so he was able to use that. And so when he says, when Satan says, you can't do that, you say, my father in heaven can do anything. So I want to tell you now, I want to challenge you, stop making excuses for your life. Stop saying, well, I did this. Stop, stop saying, well, I'm, I'm a girl or I'm a guy. Or stop saying that, that you, know, you don't know my past. God knows your past, and he still wants to use you. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. Whatever. Stop making excuses, and let's become the person that God wants us to be. Start dreaming what God could do in your life if you really trusted him in your life. Now, there's two common uh, mistakes when we make goals. First of all, we set them too low, and we try to accomplish them too quickly. So I'm going to challenge you to think in each of these seven areas over the next seven weeks, I'm going to challenge you to think bigger than you've ever thought before. I want you to dream dreams because dreaming doesn't cost you anything, right? What do you dream about your relationship with God? Where could it be if God were to do some miraculous things? What do you dream about your relationship with your spouse? What do you dream about your relationship with your children? What do you dream about financially? Dreaming doesn't cost you anything. And, and so I want you to just dream big dreams. Now, we overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. So I want to challenge you to dream dreams that are so big, it's going to take you the rest of your life to accomplish those dreams. And watch what God will do with a person fully surrendered to him. Now, by the way, the difference between a, a goal and a dream, I mentioned this just a while ago, is you put a date, you put a, a deadline on a goal. If you don't have a deadline on it, it's just a dream. You need both. Dreams are good, but you also need goals, which are statements of faith. Second, goals help me focus. They keep me from wasting time, money, my reputation, energy. It's not, Paul says, it's not these 50 things that I'm kind of mediocre at, that I mess around with. It's this one thing I do. I strain to become the person that God wants me to be. The more you focus your life, the more powerful and the more effective you're going to be. Now, sunlight, praise God, doesn't set us on fire. You want to know why? Because the light is diffused. But how many of you, when you were a kid, took that diffused light, took a little magnifying glass, and set grass on fire? Anybody? We used to light firecrackers just because it was more fun that way to try to hold the magnifying glass and light the the fuse of the firecracker and then run like crazy. And it was just a blast to do that. The reason it can do that is because you're focusing diffused light and it becomes powerful. Well, did you know that if you focus light enough, it becomes a laser? Did you know that there are some lasers that are so focused that they can cut steel? And there are some lasers that can kill a cancer. That's pretty impressive. That's light that is concentrated. I want your life to be laser-focused so that you make a difference for all eternity. Because you don't have time to do everything, and praise God, God doesn't expect you to do everything. Not everything is worth doing. You've got just enough time each day to do God's will. You figure out what God wants you to do, you do that, and you do it for years, and you've made a massive impact, not just in this world, but in the world that lasts forever. That's what I want to do. The key to being effective as a man of God, as a woman of God, 
is to, to do what matters most and forget everything else and do it for a long time. So goals focus my life. Third, goals keep me going. They help me persist. When you're going through hell in your life, do you know what you should do? Pray, but you keep going. My point is you don't camp out in hell. You don't make a home on the beaches of hell. Oh, this is as good as it gets. You keep moving until God brings you out of that. So the point is, don't make a home in hell. Here's, and, and this comes actually from Jesus' life, because the Bible says that he descended. He descended from the, the glory of heaven. He put on skin. He became obedient even to death. And, and in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this about Jesus. It says, he suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame. And then I, I chose this translation because of this next phrase, New Century Translation. New century version. But he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing. People have studied the torture of the cross and they said there's nothing in the history of humankind that that is any more torturous than crucifixion. Jesus was beaten mercilessly with, with whips. He was beaten with fists. He was spat upon. He wore a crown of thorns. He went and hung on a cross in front of everyone. And people, it said they wagged their heads. And and that meant they were scorning him. Publicly, they were scorning him. And this says he endured the cross as if it were nothing. Why? Because he had a goal. And here's what it says. Because of the joy that God has put before him. There was a goal. His goal was to be to restore to his father, to please his father. But the the ultimate goal was to make a a way for you and me to spend eternity in heaven with him. So he went through hell. He didn't camp out there, but he saw the goal that kept him going. And the goal was he wanted to give you a way to spend eternity in heaven. Jesus' goals got him through the cross. Do you know in World War II, you've heard this over and over, that, that over 6 million uh, Jews were killed by the Nazis. Afterwards, they, they did a study of the survivors. And they researched all this and they, they interviewed them. And they found out that those who survived the Holocaust had only one thing in common. Do you know what it was? Every one of them had something to live for. They had something that, that they focused their mind on that was outside of the concentration camps, the death camps, and it allowed them to live. That's the only thing every survivor had in common. They had a goal to live for somebody that else that was outside. Every person who died, not just the, the ones they killed, but the ones who gave up the will to live, they had no goals. They had nothing to live for outside. They were so focused on the horrible conditions that they finally just gave up the will to live, and they died. And, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, I've been the pastor of this church. We started 13 years ago, and I've gone through some, some pretty crazy things uh, in the life of, of New Life Community Church. And, and it's enough to make a pastor very cynical, Uh, I can't tell you how many times people have said something to my face and said something else behind my back. And, and I'm just going to be real, real honest for a second. Probably two or three times every year for the past 13 years, I've wanted to quit being the pastor of this church. I've wanted to stop because, and, and it's not, not that, that I'm suffering anything that any other pastor doesn't suffer. It's just that I said, this is too much. I just can't handle it anymore. It's too much, God. Let me do something else. Please let me do something else. Uh, you want to know why I haven't quit? Because I told God in 2002, Janie and I were praying. We'd written a bunch of stuff down. And I said, God, I want to retire as the pastor of this church before we'd ever open the doors. I said, God, I want to retire. I don't want to go anywhere else. 
I want to spend the rest of my life building New Life Community Church, building up people, and then I want to hand it off to someone when it's time for me to step away. And my goals have kept me going through tough times. And and Janie and I were talking about this. We we were talking with John and Ann the other night, and and God brought this to my mind. When when I was in seminary back in 1991, um, they had an orientation for all of the uh, the ministers. And so you had to come. And if you were married, your spouse had to come as well. If you're engaged, your, your fiance had to come. And so they said, there's this room full of preachers. You know, we're all fired up. Woo, we're going to study God's word. We're going to change the world. And the guy gets up and he says, okay, some of you don't need to enroll in seminary. He said, I want you to look at the person on your left. Look at the person on your right. Look at the person in front of you. Look at the person behind you. He said in 10 years, only one of that group We'll still be in ministry. We're going, man, that's a great way to start. And they said, some of you will quit. Some of you will be fired. Some of you, you will be divorced in 10 years because, because, well, there's several reasons, but one is some of you weren't called to come in here. They said, some of you need to leave because if you're not called, the only thing that will keep you in ministry is your calling. I've been doing this 32 years, 19 years as a youth minister, 13 years now as, as a pastor. And, and I can tell you that the, the, the statistics are true. And then they said something crazy. They said, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they said only one out of ten of you ministers will reach retirement age as a minister because the gates of hell will come against you. And they said, you better know you're called because there's going to be times that the only thing that keeps you going is that you answer to a higher power. When I, when I was thinking about starting a church, I went to a conference about, for church starters. First thing they said was, about half of you need to never come back to a church planning conference again. They said, because this is going to be the hardest job that you've ever done. And some of you are going to quit because it's going to be too hard. And I told the Lord, I don't want to be a quitter. I want to finish the race. I want to fight the good fight. And the whole reason we want to do this transformed thing is because I think some of you are the same way. And we need men and women who have the goal to become like Christ, no matter what it costs. I'm not talking financial necessarily, but I mean, there are, there are costs to you to follow Jesus Christ with your life. Your goals will keep you going. Fourth thing is goals build my character. The greatest benefit to your life over the next 50 days is not necessarily you achieving the goal. It's what's going to happen inside of you while you're moving towards the goal. God is interested in your character. He's really not so much interested in your success because you're not taking your success to heaven. You're not taking your career to heaven. Your achievements, you don't get to take those to heaven. You do take your character to heaven. So God is interested in who you are becoming. So here's the deal. While I'm working on the goal, God is working on me. You'll never become the man of God the man that God wants you to be until you intend to be that man. You'll never be the woman that God wants you to be until you intend to be that woman. You don't drift into becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. You make choices that get you there. Ten years from today, some of you are going to be very far from God. Some of you are going to be divorced. You're going to have all kinds of problems happen in your marriage. Why? Because you never intended to be the man or woman of God that he wanted you to be. You didn't make those choices. You don't get to just casually date the bride of Christ and become the person God wants you to be. You have to make serious choices. That's why it's called discipline. How many of you like discipline? 
you like it when your kids are disciplined, right? But how many of you say, man, I love discipline. Yeah. So we've got to make some choices today that are going to affect where we end up. No such thing as casual Christianity. You can't casually know Jesus. You've got to be intentional. Number five, goals, good goals will be rewarded. I love this verse. This is the, today's English version. If your goals are good, you will be respected. You ever seen somebody that they were just focused on goals and they were good goals, not just getting rich or whatever. They were good goals and you respected them for that? Even more, though, your heavenly Father is watching and he's going to reward good goals. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and 26. Paul says, everyone who enters an athletic contest goes into strict training. What does strict training mean? They eat right, they exercise, they sleep, they work out, all of those things. They do it to win a what kind of crown? Temporary. How many of you remember who the national champion was in NCAA football 10 years ago? Y'all are, oh my gosh. No, it doesn't even matter. That's the point. Thank you for proving my point. And see, here's the thing. Did you notice that every year they try to get that championship again? That it doesn't matter what you did last year. Well, it does in the rankings. But it, it doesn't matter on the field because they started all over again. It's temporary. Look what he says, though, about Christians. We, those who are followers of Christ, we do it to win one that will be permanent. There are rewards in heaven. There are crowns in heaven. And even, you know, we talk about we, take, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. What better way to worship him than he gives you crowns because of the, he's rewarding you for a faithful life. And then when you go to worship him, you bow down and you lay the crown at his feet. I can think of nothing better than to just, here's all the crowns you gave me, Jesus. Here they are. I just want to give them back to you and worship you because you gave everything for me. Not every goal, well, look what he says at the end. So I run, but not without a clear goal ahead of me. Not every goal that you set will be a good goal. Not every goal that, that you've set in your life is God going to bless. So we need to figure out which goals God bless, right? Anybody want to know that? All right, some questions. Thank you, Amy. There are questions that you need to ask. Amy, you need to ask these questions. Somebody get me a cup of coffee. And Amy, I'll sit here and finish this sermon. Three questions you need to, to ask about your goals if you want to know which ones honor God. First is, will it honor God? Any go goal that causes you to trust him, to love him, um, to depend on him, to love other people, to serve God, to serve others, to be more unselfish, those are the type of goals that God's going to bless. 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31 says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything can be done for the glory of God. You want to know how? Thank you. Okay, got three now. You can take out the garbage and honor God. You can clean your car or your closet and honor God. You can study for a test. You can write a paper to honor God for the glory of God. How? It's the attitude. An attitude of gratitude where you say, and, and I'm never going to tell you say thank you for a test. I mean, I'd get my syllabus every, you know, whether it's in seminary or whatever, get my syllabus, and i go, oh, my gosh. You don't necessarily thank God for the test. You thank God for what he's going to do in you as you study for that test or as you take that class or as you take out the garbage. Um, oh, I, I just forgot his name. There's, there's a famous monk that was, they said he had the countenance of Jesus. 
Everybody who ever met the guys wanted to hang out with him because they said he's just like Christ. And they asked him how he did it. And he said, I practice the presence of God in everything I do. Who is it? Brother Lawrence. Lawrence, Thank you. Hallelujah. Brother Lawrence. And they said that, that he even washed dishes for the glory of God. Took out the trash for the glory of God. How would we be different? Our lives would be different if we practiced the presence of God. What it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So we make it our goal to please him. First thing you got to ask about a goal is, will it honor God? Second thing is, is it motivated by love? God will not bless a goal motivated by greed, by competition, by envy, by guilt or grudges, by worry, fear, or anxiety. But when you set a goal out of love, when you say, God, I just want to love you more. God, I want to love your people more. God, I want to serve people who are far from you. Remember Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to a child in the name of God, God notices. Problem is, we're so caught up in the wrong goals that not only do we not give a cup of cold water, many times we don't even notice people. And I'm going to tell you, if, if we don't become the type of church that notices people, we'll try this experiment with two services and fall flat on our faces. Because nobody will care if we offer two services if we don't care about people, if we don't notice people. So we've got we've to work on our habits when somebody walks in the door. I don't give a rip if that's your best friend you've been talking to forever that you're standing next to. Notice somebody who comes in the door because you might be the only person who says a kind word to them today or this whole week. Notice people and it'll make a difference. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, let love be your highest goal. Let me tell you why. If you set loveless goals, you will walk all over people to get your goals accomplished. You're going to run over your marriage. You're going to run over your friends. You're going to run over other people climbing the ladder of success. And God says, I'm not going to bless that type of goal because God wants you to learn how to love people and love him. Really, that, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest is love people like yourself. So if you want to know if you're a, a, a more fully devoted follower of Christ today than you were a, a year ago, are you more loving towards God and are you more loving towards people? If the answer is no, then you're not growing in Christ. If the answer is yes, then you're moving towards Christ. Is it motivated by love? The next one is, does it require me to depend on God? Does it require me to depend on God? Look at Proverbs 16.1. People make plans in their minds, but only the Lord can make them come true. We can plan all we want, but only God can transform. So we're going to pray and we're going to plan and we're going to set goals that honor God. And then we're going to expect God to do something great in us. Now, let me just finish with this. There's three things that God uses to transform you. First is his spirit, his Holy Spirit. What we're going to attempt to do can't be accomplished by willpower. It only happens by God's power. You need to be filled with, empowered by, led by God's Holy Spirit, who is in charge. By the way, he's in charge. And if if God is your Lord, you can't say, no, Lord. That's a contradiction in terms. You don't say no to the boss. You say yes before the boss even tells you, hey, I want you to do something. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Y'all are acting like... 
Y'all are uptight today. I, I don't I don't know if it's me or the topic, but y'all are y'all are squeaking today when you walk because you're so uptight. Maybe it's that I've sat on a beach a bunch, you know, and and I'm relaxed and I got the Caribbean mood. But I don't know. Y'all seem uptight to me. I need God's spirit to empower me to do what I cannot do. Second thing, you need his word. God's never going to call you to do something that contradicts his word. Oh, well, God wants me to do this. The problem is when we're given advice, and I hear it, I, I listen. When we give advice so many times, we go based on our experiences instead of God's. And, and we, I rarely hear people say, well, what does God's word say? You come to me, the first thing I'm going to say is, what does the Bible say? I don't know. What does it say? Well, let me give you some examples. So if what you're saying contradicts with what God's word says, guess who's wrong? You will not be transformed without God's spirit. You will not be transformed without his word. His word is our authority. And you're going to make better decisions when you read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. You're going to be successful. You're going to be filled with God's spirit. You're going to be stronger and you'll make wise decisions. Do you remember when Joshua, uh, Moses had, had died he got to see the promised land, but he didn't get to go in the promised land. Joshua was the next leader. They come into the promised land, and God gives him this incredible dream to conquer the entire promised land. And there were all kinds of enemies. There were animals. There were, there were uh, fortified cities. There were enemies. This unbelievable dream that God put in front of Joshua. And it was going to take him the rest of his life to accomplish this dream. Look what God says to him. Keep this book, that's the Bible, of the law on your lips. In other words, talk about it all the time. I know a lot about sports, but I don't need to be talking about sports all the time. I should be talking about God's word more than sports. Keep this book of law on your, on your lips. Recite it day and night. Memorize it so that whenever you need it, it's right there. That you may carefully follow everything that is written in it. Obey it. Okay, so you read it, you study it, you memorize it, you practice it, you obey it. You memorize it, live by it, practice it, study it, obey it. And then what does he say? Then you will, be success- then you will successfully attain your goal. You need God's spirit, you need his word, and the third thing you need is his people. You're not going to reach your spiritual goals on your own because God didn't design us that way takes a team to fulfill the dream. <laughs> I don't know where I heard that. You can't reach your spiritual goals on your own. God, God called us to be a part of, of a community, part of a group. That's why we, we over and over tell you, you need to be in a small group because you're never going to feel like part of our church until you're connected in a small group. I want you to look at Ecclesiastes 4.12. By yourself, you're unprotected. And I got to thinking about this. You know, I was watching Baylor destroy Texas Tech yesterday. And, and I like that. Um, but, but imagine if Seth Russell, the quarterback for Baylor, went out on the field by himself. And, and he, he snaps the ball. And he's a great athlete. And he runs around, but he's got 11 great athletes chasing him. Do you think they would have won the game? Would he have scored a point? So my, my Rangers gave up a four-run lead in the ninth inning yesterday, so they still haven't won the division. Imagine if the pitcher went out there by himself, which is pretty much what he did in the ninth inning. 
I mean, when they hit the ball out of the park every time, you, what, what do you need teammates for? Because you've got people in the stands who will catch those. That's, uh, he gave up two home runs immediately. Imagine if the pitcher was on, on the field all the time by himself. How successful would that, would that player be? Not very. Why are you walking around trying to do the Christian life by yourself? And then why are you getting mad when nobody in the church has a clue what's going on in your life? And you get mad at this church, you go to another church, and the exact same thing happens. And after six months or so, you go to another church, and, and nobody knows you. These are the most unfriendly people I've ever met. No. <laughs> You're an idiot. You want to be known? Get your butt in a group. My best friend's in the church. I meet with on a regular basis. I do stuff with them on a regular basis. They know when I'm struggling. I know when they're struggling. Somebody's in the hospital. I'm going to know. Have a birthday party. I'm probably going to go if they got barbecue. <laughs> Danny Warren was talking about that yesterday. He goes, what are they going to fix us? Oh, wasn't supposed to tell that. Here's the thing. If over the next seven weeks, come here. That's the first time it did it. Flicked out. If you only come here and hear the word, in seven weeks, you'll be no different than you are right now. But if you come here and you get plugged in and you hear it, you read it, you study it, you practice it, and you do that with other people, God will move you to look more like Jesus Christ, and that's the goal of any church that follows Scripture. So I know we had a lot of people go through Trace Dias, had a great time at Trace Dias. And every time people come back, they're like, what next, what next, what next? I, I got what next for you. Get you that transform book. Be here for seven weeks. Get plugged into a small group. Do the daily studies. Open up your heart and your life to other people and watch what God does over the next seven weeks. You'll never be the same. If all you do is come and sit and listen, you'll be exactly the same in seven weeks. So the choice is yours. Let's pray together. Father, the greatest criticism I think anybody could level against a follower of yours is that they never reached their potential, which means they never trusted in you which means they never grew in their faith, which means they never risked anything for the kingdom of God. That's a pretty sorry existence if you ask me. Raise up a group of people here, Lord, who will say yes to you before you even tell them what they're supposed to do, who decide, I want to be as much like Jesus Christ as I can be in the remaining days I live on this earth. And then God, rock 
this county and, and driving distance within this church rock the eternal destinies of people because you've got a few folks who are completely sold out to you. Father, would you, would you do things in us and among us that we would not believe if you told us ahead of time? And we're going to give you the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.